Hello and welcome to the Unorganized and Lost podcast. I'm your host, Michelle, and I'm here to prove you don't always have to be organized to follow your dreams and getting lost isn't always a bad thing. Today on the podcast, I have Terry Rice, and I'm so excited. He is Entrepreneur Magazine expert in residence. He is also a business development consultant, and he creates content to help entrepreneurs increase their revenue, save time, and avoid burnout. Hi, Terry. Hey, how's it going? I'm so excited to have you on. I feel like this is all things I need to hear too. So this is this is exciting for me and I, I bet a lot of listeners that I have. So, so excited to have you here. Awesome. I'm going to backtrack a little because obviously working for entrepreneurs, very, very amazing and having your own business and all these other things. So is that something that you always dreamed of? Is that how you started? Like take us back to your younger years and kind of your development into where you got today. Yeah, when I was younger, I actually wanted to be a comedian. That was my my goal. Uh, I'm not sure why. It just seemed like a fun job. Uh, so yeah. I wanted to be a comedian. And then as I got a bit older, by a bit older, I mean like junior high, I watched this movie uh, starring Eddie Murphy called Boomerang. And he was an advertising executive. And it's made it look so cool because he's like this young guy and he's hip and he's doing all this cool stuff. I'm like, oh, I want to go into marketing or or advertising, something like that. So that stuck with me and I ditched the comedian part. And when I went to school, that's what I focused on primarily. So advertising, PR, and as I got a bit older, going to business school, getting an MBA with a focus in marketing as well as consulting. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, it's so funny, the things that we think about as kids and then also what kind of leads us to where we kind of end up because I was actually thinking about that's kind of part of the reason I I love this podcast is finding people in different careers because I think the hardest part is not knowing that some things exist or that you would be good at certain jobs that are out there and so I love that um, getting into that because of a movie and then all of a sudden you know switching everything around which is kind of funny because it's from a comedian so that's kind of great. Yeah, stay true on that part. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, okay, so did you always know you wanted to kind of work in the business consultant realm? Or did you think you wanted to own your own business? And like, obviously, you have your own business while, you know, all that. So how did you get all into that? Yeah, I mean, part of it is this, like, my dad worked for a tech company when I was growing up. So I'm like, that looks cool. You know, he's always doing something interesting. And I'm like, that's what a businessman does. So I that was the first, you know, understanding of what this looked like. And then after business school, actually, let's talk about being unorganized and lost. After business school, I was unorganized and lost because I went to the same undergrad uh, college that I went to for business school. So I was just partying, partying the whole time. And I worked at like the most popular bar on campus. So I was like that guy who thought I was important because I was a bouncer at this, this bar. <laughs> so instead of like preparing for so interview, yeah, yeah, I was a jock too. So this pile oh, all God. that on, right? <laughs> so just like worst case scenario, but I'm in business school at this point. So I didn't prep for interviews. I didn't have like, you know, like a plan. And when I graduated from business school, I worked at Radio Shack. And if anyone doesn't know what Radio Shack is, it ain't the place you want to be working with an MBA retail selling batteries and cell phones and stuff. So I was unorganized and lost. And at that time, I moved to Connecticut from Buffalo because I just wanted to do something. Uh, but it did not work out well whatsoever because I had no plan. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's amazing. So are you from Buffalo? I grew up nearby in Rochester and then I went to oh, Buffalo okay. school. My yeah. brother's fiance is from Buffalo. We're actually going out there for their wedding. Fun fact. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Where did you go to college? University at Buffalo. 
Oh, okay. So you party through Buffalo. You figure out what you're going to do. You're at Radio Shack. What kind of made you move into where you finally got to? Well, I didn't want to be at Radio Shack. So that was <laughs> that was one thing. Yeah, what happened is I, I, I moved back to Buffalo and I got a job doing something like tangentially related to marketing. But the funny thing is when I first graduated from undergrad, this is back in 2000, I had my resume on monster.com. And like, where would you like to move to? And I'm like, anywhere, Florida, New York City, XYZ. And six years later, I got a call from someone from New York saying, we have this marketing job here we think you'd be great for. What do you say? And I'm like, well, it's better than being in Buffalo, this job that I don't like that much. And it wasn't horrible. Yeah. It just wasn't for me. So that's how I got uh, a, an opportunity to move to New York City and having everything paid for. And this is pretty cool because I was still, I would say, unorganized and lost. I was just glad to have a real job. But one day my my the owner came in and said, hey, look, there's this thing called search engine optimization. And if you write stuff on a website, we will show up on Yahoo when they search for it and we can get traffic to the website. And I never heard of this before in my life. I was like, this is like freaking magic has been invented. <laughs> and that's how I got into digital marketing. So fast forward a bit more, I actually quit that company. And the way I quit, I'll make this quick, is I quit because I had a job lined up on Wall Street. And the same guy, I'm like, look, I want to leave. And he's like, well, when do you want to leave? And I said, I don't know, two, maybe three o'clock. And I would <laughs> never do that again. <laughs> but I just wanted out because I just knew it wasn't the spot for me. So I, I got this job at a, a SaaS company on Wall Street. And I got really into digital marketing, got really good at it. And then I got fired. I got fired. And this is in 2009. And I had like no money saved up because I'm that guy, you know, I'm like unorganized, yeah. still lost, just got a little Absolutely. money. Yep. And I remember I had $1,000 to my name. And this is the smartest thing I ever did. I said, look, I'm not $1,000 away from being okay right now. But if I educate myself and learn more about this skill, digital marketing, I will be. So I paid 800 bucks to take a course at NYU to learn how to do digital marketing better. And five months later, I got a job at Adobe making six wow. figures, which was insane. But again, I was unorganized and lost for months. My electricity got turned off. I was two months behind on my rent. And I flew to Utah for three weeks of training with $7 in my pocket, $7. Oh so here's the benefit of being broke or being in challenges, challenging situations before you know how to get through them. So I'll make this brief again. So I get to Utah with my $7 and luckily the rental car is paid for and so is the, uh, the hotel. And there was gas in the rental car. So I'm like, awesome. So <laughs> I go to my hotel and I find out they have free like continental, continental breakfasts so I can when? eat breakfast. Yep. They had happy hour three days a week. So I'm like stuffing wings and pizza into Tupperware and bringing it back to my hotel room. And then eventually two weeks later, I got paid. But that's the benefit of, of just kind of struggling to an extent. You learn how to become more scrappy and just more resilient and you get by. So yeah, that's, that's absolutely that's it. I mean, that's not the story of my that life. Also, that's <laughs> also youth too, which helps because you can live off wings and pizza and happy hour beer, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you start getting older and you're like, I just don't think, I think I might need to have a normal meal. <laughs> well, here's the thing. When you're younger, you can take those risks because like worse comes to worse, you're sitting on a buddy's couch. I got four kids now. I can't say like, well, dad, this took this risk and guys, they don't really work out too well. So we're going to have hot We're dogs. all going to happy hour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a little different when you get older. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such a great reminder is understanding 
what youth is also, because I mean, it all has to do with the responsibilities you have, right? Like if you don't have those responsibilities, if you don't have kids, if you don't have a significant other, you can still take those risks when you are quote older, which is convenient, obviously being able to understand where you can take those risks and what time to take those risks is beneficial. Because like you said, you learn to be more scrappy, you learn to kind of take things as they come instead of, you know, and being able to adapt when it has to, when you have to adapt, which I think is huge. Yeah, that adaptability quotient is really what separates people who can recover from setbacks quickly in those who kind of get stuck in that moment for a very long time, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. When I think it's also the idea of, well, I mean, could it get worse? I guess I might as well try. You know what I mean? Having that that lack of fear in the sense we were like weighing the pros and cons and realizing it might be scary, but it's almost scarier not to try and not yeah. to take those risks, I've realized is is huge also. Yeah. And it's interesting, along those lines, let's talk about risk, right? So again, I have more than $7 now. I'm working at Adobe. And then I moved on to working at Facebook. But I wasn't ever comfortable. Mm -hmm. I would look around at people that I worked with and I'm like, I don't want your job. I would look at my manager. I'm like, I don't want your job either. Actually, I don't want anyone's job here, including mine. And that's a very weird spot to be at because when you struggle that long and you're finally doing well and everyone's looking at you like, wow, you work at all these cool companies. You live in New York City and you're still not happy. It's because what I was doing is I was still going back to my childhood saying, here's what I want to do. I want to be a businessman like dad or like Eddie Murphy. But when I got in that zone, it didn't feel good. And I was Mm -hmm. struggled for a while. I felt ungrateful. I felt confused. But it's because I was not meant to be an employee, at least not for the long term. I had to be an entrepreneur to get more autonomy, more freedom, just increase my revenue eventually as well. But I think sometimes, you know, you're one quote I enjoy is like, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, you know, it's going to live its whole life feeling like, like it's stupid, right? And that's how I felt. I'm like, what is wrong? I was literally a fish out of water. I should not have been in that kind of environment. And when I did have more direction, when I had more of a vision, when I had a clear personal philosophy and a purpose, that's when I was moving on from the unorganized and lost part. Now I'm just unorganized, but I'm not lost. (laughs) I'm I'm sloppy, but it's like, I'm very clear in how I want to help people. Oh, that's amazing. That actually is a good transition because I I listened to a podcast with that you were um, talking to someone about um, you don't have to follow your passion. You should follow your purpose. And I would love if you could touch a little bit more on that because I think it's so true. I'm just amazed at how much bad advice there is out there, especially in regards to entrepreneurship. And that's one of them. And and the thing is, like, that's a cool soundbite. Follow your passion. Okay, everybody, I'm leaving, right? But it's like, when you encourage someone to follow their passion, it's like, okay, well, what is my passion? Maybe it's Pokemon cards, right? Maybe it's Pokemon cards. I love them. Oh, I'm going to start selling them online. That'll be great. Then you realize it's actually a pain in the ass because you're getting returns. Someone didn't get Pokemon in their, their deck or whatever, or you have to learn all these random things. And guess what? Now you hate Pokemons and drop shipping and e-commerce and entrepreneurship, right? So yeah, yeah. If, if you can marry the fact that you have a passion, that there's also a purpose behind it. And mm-hmm. the purpose can be just to support yourself. That's you know, the most basic one. It could be to help people. But if you can find both of those together, great. If not, then find a purpose for your job that allows you to still live in your passion on the side, right? So think about someone who's selling like cell phone holders on Amazon. They're not passionate about cell phone holders, but their passion is living on a beach in Tahiti and generating money from their phone, right? So 
I encourage everyone to ditch that whole follow your passion thing because you might not be that passionate about anything. You're like, hey, I like Netflix. You know what I mean? Like it's soul searching. But if your purpose is to find a job where I can work from home, where I don't have to travel, where I can, you know, just generate revenue and not talk to people too much. Great. That's awesome. I hear you, right? Yeah, <laughs> but if you're you trying to find that passion, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, I think that's huge advice. I think I've talked about it before on the podcast also, because I remember people giving that advice, like find something you love. And to be honest, I loved video. Video was something that I was so passionate about. It was a fun way to explain and share memories because I was a scrapbook nerd and that got expensive. And then I realized that video and buying a drone is more expensive, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I loved it and I went into it as a full-time career and I absolutely despise it right now. I'm, I'm getting back to it. Um, now that I've been out of it for a while now, but I was really disliking it because it took all the fun away from it. It took the creativity away from it. It took a lot away from it. I totally agree when people say like, go for your passion, you have to really understand why you love that passion. And if it's worth if, if like changing it to get money is worth it or if it even makes sense, because sometimes you can totally tie it into making money. But like you said, with the Pokemon cards, when you say you like Pokemon and then all of a sudden it turns into a complete it's it's nothing. There's no fun in it. It just has the word Pokemon in there in a sense. Yeah, I think when you get advice like that, any kind of advice, like just ask why. Why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Why should I do that? You know, it's like, oh, if you're passionate about it, you'll never, you know, feel like you're working a day in your life. Well, I disagree. You know, <laughs> just like really push yeah. back and, and and challenge that those assumptions. Well, and again, when you're when you go from being able to do something for fun and whenever you want, and then you're forced to do it, it changes your mindset on it. Yeah. Like you, you might, oh, I love this so much. Even if someone asked me to do it, like. Yeah, that's great if that works for you. But 90% of the time, if someone asks you to go hang out and instead you have to make this video when before you could just do it when you got home or did it later, it makes it less fun. <laughs> yeah. Even like when I was in college working at like bars and clubs and stuff, everyone's like, that must be so much fun. I'm like, I'm actually tired and I have to stand by this speaker all night because this is my spot and I don't want to be here. Like there's all the cool stuff happening over there and I'm stuck here. So it's yeah, like, well, and you're sober and you're not with your friends. And like the reason bars are fun is because you're meeting people and you're making sure that the drunk person isn't dying or doing something silly. Yeah. Well, I wasn't sober. I wasn't going to be that strict with myself. Well, I mean, I got to have some fun, but <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was still coherent, but <laughs> definitely wasn't sober. Well, okay. There's that. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely, definitely not as fun as when you're not working. Uh, yeah. You went to Adobe, went to Facebook. What finally made you realize that you were a fish out of water and kind of needed change as you were looking around at everybody around you? Just, uh, I mean, a few things. One is I was starting a family at the time. And one thing with Facebook is this, right? Or any tech company, you get free breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Great. That's awesome. But dinner ends at nine, sorry, breakfast ends at nine and dinner starts at six. So you're incentivized to get there early and leave late, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, if I have kids, they're going to be calling me Terry instead of dad if I'm getting home at seven o'clock at night every night, right? So yeah. not a good look there. But again, it's the autonomy, right? You know, you anyone who has a job, as you know, someone you have a good idea, it gets filtered through one, maybe two people, and all of a sudden, like mm, we disagree, mm -hmm. and then you're just okay. Well, I guess that's it. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it, just, it just ends. 
So it's like, I mean, all my life, I've, I've more or less bet on myself that I could, you know, beat the odds or just push through or whatever. And when you have a nine to five, often you, you're just constrained. And it's like, it's almost like someone judging art, you know, like you're a painter and one person walks by and is like, mm, I disagree. It's like, well, who are you? You know, like, can, can we get, can we crowdsource an opinion on this one? Like why, yeah. <laughs> why are you? That was you... video for me, for sure. Yeah, you get it. Like, why are you the one judging my talent? And before it even gets down, you know, gets some kind of like traction on or get the opportunity to. So that's really what it was. And and I think most people are getting that itch now. That's why we're seeing the whole quiet quitting or like the great resignation because we're being more self-reflective, you know, when we worked, you know, from home for, for two years or whatever. And when you go back and there's all these like meetings that you don't think you have to be in or like all these like monthly reviews and you're like, eh. So if you're in the wrong culture, I think that's what can push you out as well. So I think, I mean, there are some great cultures or some that are just like not as beneficial. So can you explain what quiet quitting is? Yeah. And it's funny. I had to like Google it because I'm like, what, what does this mean? I thought it was just like, you just kind of pieced out and tell people. Um, yeah, but that's, that's my thought. So yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not anything new, which is you saying like, look, I'm not going to do more than is asked of me for my job. Right. So if mm. you're, if you're being managed by objective, you're just doing that and you're done. You're not volunteering for anything. You're not going to work on the weekend. You're not exerting extra effort. And I mean, it seems like that's the way it should have been in the first place, unless you enjoy doing these extra things. So the media is making it seem like it's a big thing, like, oh, my God, everyone's, you know, being lazy. They're not being lazy. They're putting up barriers. And I think one reason why we're seeing this is just like I said before, sometimes when you have extra ideas, they're just shot down without going to committee or being properly vetted or you're not getting rewarded for it. So what I encourage companies to do is to encourage entrepreneurship. So just allowing people to come up with new innovative ideas, it could be basic, it could be huge. But when I was at Adobe, we actually got this idea box where they would give us like literally a box with like snacks and like gear and all this stuff to help us come up with cool ideas. And if it got picked up by the company, you had a rev share from it. So it's wow. pretty cool. But I think that's what we need is, first of all, to encourage people to become entrepreneurs. And then second of all, just give people more of a chance to have their ideas vetted before one person who's like glancing through their emails on the phone says, mm, bad idea. So that's, yeah, that's why absolutely. That's so interesting because I actually was thinking about that also in the sense of, you know, in the older generation, they're judging the fact that, you know, the same thing is happening. They're calling us like the media is saying that we're lazy or that people are lazy for doing that. And what's so different about in the past is you could not bring work home with you. In the past, email wasn't as accessible. Laptops weren't as much of a thing. Your desk was at work and that was it. You left and you left, right? Like if you stayed a little late that night, it wasn't as big of a deal. You went home and you were done. And now, especially after the pandemic, it's such a different world because they kind of expect you to always be on. It's also so different in that aspect of calling people lazy when in reality, there's this expectation of working harder and later and being on 24-7 when that never was a thing. Companies were so much more loyal to their employees back in the day. Yeah. All these, all these people are like, I worked with the same company for 30 or 40 years. And it's like, that's not a thing now. It'd be shocking if someone worked that long at a company nowadays. Yeah. My dad was at Xerox, a uh, tech company for 38 years. Yeah. Like, there you go. Just, just <laughs> doing crap. it. And he, yeah, he, he started there after he got out of Vietnam, like driving a forklift. And then by the time he graduated or retired, he was like a VP. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. at least it worked out. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like now, like if you're anywhere for more than like a year, you're a veteran. But uh, well, here's what we're going to see too. Let's, let's go deeper here. 
you're going to see even more mobility because work and workplace have been decoupled, right? Before, mm -hmm. if you lived in Buffalo and you want a new job, it's got to be in Buffalo. Now it's like, yo, I can do whatever I want. So if you're not rewarding your stars, if you're not making people feel valued and appreciated and actually having a real culture, not just like something written on the wall, people yeah. are going to leave. So people don't leave bad companies. It, they don't leave good companies. They leave bad cultures and bad managers. Like, that's really what yeah. it is. What do you think managers could do differently so that they can actually keep employees? I don't think everyone should be a manager, first of all. <laughs> I think some people get promoted because they did a really good job as, you know, like a, a line employee or they have an MBA or whatever, but they don't have the emotional intelligence to be a manager. And I think that really has to go into it. Like, are you not just getting good, you know, reports from people that you are, are working for, like higher ups? do your peers also like and respect you, <laughs> you know, because I think that's Absolutely. the problem. I've, I've had really great managers. I've had horrible ones too. So I think that's the issue. It's corporations in general have to really think who should be a manager and who's just really good at their job, but horrible with people. So that's part of it. And I think a lot of it also is just like being more empathetic, right? And, and do you, can you train that? Sure, it's probably an innate too. But if you have to go to a workshop to learn how to be empathetic, it's probably not going to work. You know what I mean? It's like it's like going to a workshop to learn how to be nice. It's like if you're just, yeah. if it's not in you, it's like maybe it's not a nice person. You know, like that's <laughs> that's what it is. So, and, and I think people nowadays, I sound old when I say that, there's more of a focus on their personal life, not just their professional life. Because again, we were all away from our desk for two years. We had more time to go work out, to spend time with our friends, to meditate, to do whatever. And if you don't respect that, if you don't respect the fact that I need space or the fact that, hey, you know, I don't want to go to this offsite in Las Vegas because I don't want to catch, you know, COVID while I'm there, that's going to be an issue. So I think that that emotional intelligence, not to use the buzzword so much, if you don't have that, you're in trouble. You're better off having a boss who has no idea how to manage, but is just a really good people person and will learn how to manage as opposed to someone who's really good supposedly at managing and making sure you you know check a box, but doesn't know how to effectively communicate because no one's going to do their best work under duress. Like if they're hoping and praying, you don't reach out to them. If they get like, you know, a trigger every time they see an email from you, that ain't a good environment to be in, right? So I think that's where it starts. Absolutely. I a lot of great material there. I think that's probably the best statement I've ever heard is not everybody needs to be a manager. It's also this, it's um, so many companies are like, oh, let's look at your strengths and your weaknesses. How do we develop your weaknesses? Guess what? I don't want to. There's some things I'm really bad at and it's really a waste of my time to get better. I'm rather, I'm better off getting stronger with the things that I'm already stronger at. Have someone else do this. I ain't good at it. I don't want to be either, right? So that's it's kind of the bad. point of having multiple employees. That's good. Yeah, point. like, have Kelly do it. She loves this stuff, right? You know, <laughs> that's the way I think about it. But, but it's also like recognizing what type of genius someone is. And if you ever read uh, Limitless by Jim Quick, he talks about different types of genius. There's steel, there's tempo, there's blaze, there's, dy there's dynamo. And some people work really well just in isolation. Just let me put my head down and work. Give me that, that direction and let me work. I don't want to have a bunch of team meetings and all this stuff. Let me just work. Whereas some people, they feed off the energy of other people. That's great, but don't suck it out of me because that's you. We got to find something else to, to do. Like, don't assume everyone works the same way because I'm introverted. Like, I don't, I don't like having a lot of meetings if I don't have to. And I also do my best work in the morning. So like Y Combinator, they have a schedule where it's called a maker schedule and a manager schedule. 
in the morning they create, right? They're doing creative work. They're doing briefs. They're doing proposals. They're inventing stuff, whatever. In the afternoon, they have meetings, right? Because they're like, cool, you got your most important stuff done. So they're trying to set the culture up in a way where at least, you know, you have a solid block of X hours in the morning to do work. Then we'll have meetings later on. But what happens instead in other cultures? Oh, you got an hour to work, then another meeting. Oh, another half an hour, then another meeting. Oh, 15 minutes, then another meeting. It's like, great. What are we meeting about? No one's doing anything. Like, what Yeah, we, I was going to say, you have no time to actually work. You're just sitting around talking to each other. <laughs> yeah. So I think what should a manager do? At the very minimum, give people time to work. And then, sure, you know, go manage or whatever you have to do. But like, it's just protecting that time for deep work and getting in that, that white space and, and to, to produce what you can actually do if you're not interrupted. I think that's a great point also is understanding just the kind of the bigger picture of each employee. And yes, it's probably a lot for some people to understand, you know, when their PTO is or, you know, how much they make or how many meetings they have in a day. But when you have check-ins that literally don't check in on any of those things to get your work done better because they're just like well you haven't been producing it's like i don't i don't have time to produce well you should you should work overtime well do i get paid for that no you're like what huh (laughs) yeah i wish i had a manager who just sat down and said you know do you like your job or what parts do you like you know and i would have said like this this maybe not that and like find a solution if there is one you know what i mean like whatever it is or find like a maybe there's a purpose in getting through the parts you don't like but it's saying, hey, look, I realize you don't like this stuff. Gosh, I don't like it either. You know, like it's part of my job. And the best managers don't always solve problems, but they at least acknowledge and empathize, right? They're like, look, I know this part is not fun. It's two hours of our week. You know, I don't want to do it either. How about this? We'll we'll do it together. We'll both block off time and we'll get through the stuff we hate during this two-hour block. Then we'll all celebrate afterwards. Like just being empathetic and, and curious and just innovative in how we solve these problems can go a very long way. What I thought was really interesting is when you said, I hate when people try to build on my negatives or my yeah. um, weaknesses. And what's so funny is a lot of advice you get as an entrepreneur is if you're not good at something, hire someone else to do it. Yeah. But then when you're in a big company, they're like, oh, you're not great at that. Let's make you work on it. <laughs> Wait, <All right>. what? <laughs> you know what I think would be great? Like utopian situation. Let's pretend there's 10 things at your job that you need to be doing, Right. And you're like, hey, there's two that I'm horrible at. Can we just find someone on Fiverr to do this and take the money out of my salary? Like, I'll manage the person, but like, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to create reports. I don't want to do this stuff. Can we have them sign an NDA and they do it? Like, if we just had more of a fractional role where it's like, look, you know, someone's doing the parts that I hate, but like, I don't want to quit because I love doing these things, but this is just sucking the life out of me. I dread these two hours more than anything every week. Can someone else do it? <laughs> you know, like that, that would, that would help. Yeah. I think that's huge because again, I think the thing that's interesting about companies is misunderstanding what they can get out of employees. And it's so interesting. The fact that it's, there's so much studies around the fact that if a employee stays with you, you save so much money than having to go find someone new. And it's so interesting how companies only want to keep you when you try to leave which I always, it boggles my mind the first time I was told, well, if you try to leave, then they may give you more money. Yeah. I'm like, what? Well, huh? So it's like you go start to find a new job 
And then they're like, well, now we can give you a counter offer. It's like, well, I don't want to stay here now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you know I'm upset and like <laughs> looking now. Yeah, now I'm at the point where it's like, well, I've done the work. I might as well just leave because they're going to pay me this X, Y, Z. And maybe they'll treat me right for a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the issue. I think there's, there's two things. One is people have more mobility now because you don't have to actually be in an office. Like before it was like, oh, you're really going to pack up, you know, and move to Boston. No, I don't have to. I just log into a different Zoom, man. And I'm good. Right. So it, it, it's that. But there's so many old school leaders who are like, no, this is how it is. And they're just resistant to change. Like, like some people that are like, no, you have to be in the office. So you have to be here. Maybe that's how they get work done or they think that they can't see you, they can't manage you. But a lot of people are like, hey, man, I'm not doing this and I'm going somewhere that that will even for less money. I'm saving so much more time by not commuting and, you know, I have more of a life. And I think one thing that people don't also understand is the need for psychological safety at work. Right. So if we're we're getting more progressive now, but it's like if you feel like, you know, triggered every time you get an email from someone or if someone's rude or you don't feel like you can talk without your opinion being respected, you're not in a safe environment and you can't breed innovation or even boost morale in that type of situation. But again, a lot of leaders are like my age, you know, like in their mid 40s and they went to business school like I did. And it's like you're going to be a business leader of America and here's how you do it. And it's like, that was 20 years ago, man. Like no one's checking for that anymore. You have to, you have to adapt and you have to be a, a kind person and, and really reward people and respect them. And, and you will get the best out of people if you do that. But if you just try to force them to fit this mold that was invented, like in the seventies or eighties, it's not going to work out too well and neither is your company. So I think that's what people will realize eventually. But to your point, there's enough data around it. I don't understand what magazines you're reading, but <laughs> it's like, it's, it's out there already. Yeah. Pay your people well and just take the time to, I don't know, learn a little bit more about your employees instead of, like you said, just being trying to manage and check off boxes. That's why I would never make a good manager. Like I have no desire whatsoever to be at the top of an organization because I don't want all these different personalities and ideas and perspectives and excuses or whatever, or real things coming at me. I think these are real things I just know that I'm just so focused on what I want to do and I want to get my work done and put my head down. I don't like interacting that much with people in the day to day in my work. Like I have my clients that I consult. That's great. But I don't want like, you know, Omar saying, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, I was going to take a vacation this week, but it's going to be next week instead. Is that cool? Like, I don't know, man. Like, I just want work, you know, like, I don't, <laughs> I'm not I'm not that guy. And if more people realize that. If more people were driven by a purpose instead of ego, they would turn down that C-level, that manager level, that whatever. But no, they want to make look good in front of their friends or they want to make more money. So therefore, they take it. And I think maybe one way to avoid this is by saying, look, you don't have to be a manager to be to get a raise. You can still be an individual contributor. And we're going to change your management by objective to include more stuff maybe or maybe less stuff that's more strategic, but just because you want to make $200,000 a year does not mean you have to be a manager because we know you don't like people, Kelly. Let's, everybody knows that, you know, it's like, yeah. like that's how it goes. Absolutely. But that's not the way it's set up right now. I think that is amazing advice. And I think it's just like you said, not everyone should be a manager, but also understanding if you shouldn't be a manager and like knowing what you want, I think is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone should be a manager and not everyone should be an employee. And it might take you 10 years to figure that out. That's why people get that, that 10 year itch. We're mm -hmm. like, you know what, this ain't what I thought it was going to be. And yeah. and that's when they leave or sometimes unfortunately resolve like, okay, I guess I'll ride this out for another 30 years and you know, then I'll retire. But yeah, but I think we're seeing lots of people do that now, which is, which is encouraging. 
Yeah, that's very true. Okay, so I got a couple questions for you that someone wrote into me. And so he said, okay, what are top three things needed to get a startup off the ground? What are the top three things needed to get a startup off the ground? I would say, first of all, find an example of a similar startup that's successful, right? Because I can say, do X, do Y, do Z. I don't know exactly what your startup does. I don't know exactly what, what industry you're in, what product you have, so on and so forth. I can give you some generic stuff right now if you want, but success leaves clues. So just study them and then try to reverse engineer it, right? How do they get funding? How do they grow their, their market? How do they sustain themselves? So on and so forth. I mean, I would say for any business, you have to be very clear on your vision. You know, what do you want to do? What does that look like? Because a vision is different than a goal. A goal might be, we want to have a thousand customers. We want to make a million dollars. A vision is what does it look like? What does it feel like when you and your company are accomplishing this goal? And the reason, or this, this vision, because you're going to face challenges, but if you have a clear vision of what you're, what's in it for you, you can push through all those challenges because you know what's on the other side. So it starts with that. I think be, beyond that vision and goals is just thinking, what am I missing? What am I missing? Because people come to me sometimes, they're like, should I have a partner? I'm like, I don't know. What are you missing? You know, what are you not good at? Because if you don't know what your deficit is, you don't know what step two, step three, step four is, right? So what are you missing would be uh, another one. And I'd say the last one is what communities should I join that will support me, that will challenge me, that can encourage me? Because you might be the only person in your family or your network right now that are startup our startup founder. Your friends and family might want to give you advice, but it's, it might not be useful, right? They will or, always give you advice. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> that's the thing. Like certain certain industries, like if you're a business owner, everyone has advice. Like I got this idea. No one says that to pilots, you know, no one's like, oh, let me, let me show you how to fly this thing. But you know what I mean? So it's that. Yeah, but... That's such a great example. It's so true. Yeah. But to recap. So yeah, get clear on your vision. First of all, get clear on what you even need. Cause I can't tell you what you need if must, you need to have that down. And the third is find a community because you're going to find people a lot more smart, a lot smarter than me, who are a lot more just involved in your niche that can provide value to you. But don't like just see something on Instagram where someone says, follow your passion and say, okay, here we go. Like, you know, like that's not a good look. <laughs> like get, get very clear tactical advice from someone who's found success in a similar lane. Oh, I like that a lot. That's, I think that's going to be super helpful for people because I think I definitely, that was something that I realized this year that I was lacking was people around me that could give me advice, especially in podcasting and you know, everything I'm doing and, you know, having a clothing brand, etc. I have a lot of, I've said before, I have a lot of successful people around me, but not having, you know, people in the industry I'm in makes it hard. Here you. Okay. One more question that someone sent in. Are there any specific actions you can see all successful entrepreneurs take when working to build their business? I'm going to steal this from Jason Pfeiffer, who's the editor in chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And I interviewed him for my podcast and his response to that question is like, what do successful people have in common? It's their ability to adapt. How adaptable are they? And he has these four phases of adaptation. The first one is, so say something bad happens, you know, at your company or even in your life, right? The first stage is panic. Oh my gosh, I'm going to, I'm freaking out. This horrible thing happened. The next step is going to be adaptation, right? You you just kind of learn to adapt. You're like, okay, bumps in the road. We're, we're kind of getting by now. After that becomes new normal, right? You're used to this routine. It's not as disruptive as it was before. 
And that's great. But where he wants to get you, and that's what his book is about, is getting you to wouldn't go back. Those moments you wouldn't go back to, you know, what you're doing before because you're so fulfilled now and so happy with it. So he says the people that are really successful move through those phases faster. You can still go through those phases. You can still panic, adapt, new normal, and then wouldn't go back. But the faster you can get through it, the better, right? So when I think about that, it's like there's, you have a finite amount of energy, right? Something bad happens. You lose a big deal. Website crashes. That already happened. All the energy you spend complaining about it, I can't believe this happened, so on and so forth, is wasted. Because you know what? After you're done, the website's still down. So the faster you can move through that, and it's, I'm very stoic. That's just my life. Yeah. Yeah. The faster you can move through that, the better. And like the, the only way is through. You know, you can't go backwards. <laughs> the only way is through. And if you embrace that, tra that train of thought, that's how you find success. Oh, I love that so much. I actually just listened to most of that podcast episode. I actually think I'm going to link it in the show notes because I think that was a really, really good episode. I also actually took some notes from that episode and I thought we talked about a little bit about following your purpose instead of your passion. But another thing that I really liked was, and then the what, and I think that kind of ties in with what you were talking about and the, yeah. and then what comment. And it's so interesting because I feel like it ties into what I always say of, it reminds me of why not. My, my parents always told me like whenever I came up with what seemed like a crazy idea, they just say, why not? And yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think that's great. I think it's good for people to, I don't know if you remember talking about and then what, but I think that was a good topic also. I'll say this in general. I mean, the benefit of what you and I do, right, where we, we learn interesting things and we share them is as a parent, you know, I have four kids. I, I pick up on things. I'm like, Ooh, I'm saying this stuff to random people on my podcast. And I got to make sure I'm passing it on to my kids too. Cause like, yeah, you know, it's tough. You know, you're trying to figure out how to feed them and how to get them dressed and all this stuff. But just like you said, like, there's these moments within moments where you can just really empower them to ha have a very successful life by saying, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Get curious, try this so on and so forth. So uh, that's where I, I really am very conscious where it's like, Sure, you have this personal brand. That's great. But are you really that person, you know, when the cameras are off or when you're not on social media? That's what I really care more about. It's not personal branding. It's 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 character branding. You know, can you actually prove that you are this individual you're portraying to be with your personal brand? Is your character really such that you're you're doing these things in your day-to-day -day life? Because some people I suspect they're not. And that's when things will eventually come crashing down because all that stuff you pretended to be just wasn't true. Yeah, I think that's amazing. That's a great, great point to make sure that you're actually like leading by example with whatever you're doing. Um, another thing I liked about that episode was um, tying together your what's and like people tying together their what's and why's too much, which mm -hmm. I thought was an interesting statement. I don't know if you remember talking about that, but yeah. um, and it kind of led into the follow your pa uh, don't follow your passion, follow your purpose. But I really liked that idea of pe making sure people aren't tying the what's and why's together too much. You could be a truck driver, right? And I'm not saying it's a bad profession, but it's like, what are you doing? You're driving a truck to make money, but your why behind that could be, you know what? I got 12, 12 hours a day to sit here and just think me and my own thoughts. I'm going to do this for two years and I'm going to think of a business idea I can have that's going to make me a lot of money and help people. And you know what? I got the perfect opportunity to do it right now because I'm getting paid to think. Obviously I'm driving too, but it's like the what is you're driving a car you know, or a truck, the why is I have so much white space right now. It's insane. No one's texting me. No one's slacking me. No one's doing any of that stuff. I just got to get to Albuquerque by Wednesday and I'm good. That's all that matters right now. 
in between there and now I can think all I want. I can leave voice notes for myself, you know, it's, listen to podcasts, self-help books, whatever it is. So yeah, that's the why behind the what in this case. Yeah. I think I like that a lot. Again, I'm going to, I think I'm going to link the, um, that episode cause I thought it was, thought it was really insightful that you guys, uh, what you guys were sharing. Do you have any final notes for, for people on being unorganized and lost, especially in business or entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think being organized is a constraint sometimes. It is, right? If you're saying, I only do this, this has to be this way, so on and so forth. You can't take risks. You can't, you know, go outside of the lines and try new things that you might like. It might be very lucrative. So people think being organized is is aligned with being, you know, successful or it's great. It's a good thing. I don't think so. I mean, I think you can make messy progress towards a goal and still get there. But if you're still can, if you're so constrained by this process or this illusion of, of you know, being, being organized and, and not lost, then you might never get to where you want to be. Right. There's like that statement, not all who wander are lost. You know what I mean? So it's like, you can tie it back to the, that too. You might not know what you like or don't like if you don't venture off this beaten path. So I would encourage everyone not to judge their own self-worth based on what society is saying, you know, have you done this by time you're 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever, what your friends or peers are doing, because end of the day, you're the one who wants to sit there with yourself and say, am I happy? Or I just, do I just look happy on social media? Oh, I love that so much. I feel like that kind of ties into what you were saying about working at these big companies in the past, like Adobe and Facebook and your friends coming up to you like, oh my gosh, you have it made. You're at these big companies. And I've had that before where I got so used to being, getting the attention of, oh wow, that's really cool when I hated it or didn't like it because of many reasons. And then I was, um, too focused on, you know, getting that little high that I'd never changed it when in reality, I didn't like it, but it sounded cool to people. So I just didn't really change it as fast as I probably should have. Yeah. When I um, left the corporate world, I had an identity crisis because if I met you at a party or whatever, when you asked me to tell you about your, myself, I would say, oh, I work at Adobe. I work at mm -hmm. Facebook. And oh. it took me a while to get used to just being Terry. And you know what? I realized some people didn't care who I was. They were like being Terry. When I worked at Adobe and Facebook, that was something. But when I had no logo behind me, it's like, well, who are you? Right. And then you have to build your own brand, however you want. And as a result of that, that's why, I mean, I've been, I've done some cool stuff, right? I've been on stages, podcasts, wrote a book, all this stuff, but I just stick to my core values now because I realize that all that stuff is, is it's, it's a vanity thing. It's ego. And even to the point where I, I used to consult Walmart, Calvin Klein, all these big companies. I don't do that anymore. I help individuals or at least companies that help individuals because my legacy will be defined not by helping Walmart sell socks. It's going to be defined by helping Cynthia and Queens grow a business that helps her support her family. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. I think that's amazing advice for people. I think it's sometimes age and sometimes, you know, making that own mistake yourself to realize that it matters. Uh, I definitely, like I said, I've, I've had that ego sense as well in a company and you having that name behind you and like, who am I now that I don't have it? And it's interesting because I own my own company and I also work full-time at a different company. And sometimes I change up depending on where I'm at, like what I do. <laughs> Cause it's like, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to know this company or I don't know if you're going to care about my, you know, business that I've built. So yeah, it's such an interesting concept, how we kind of tie ourselves into all of that. That's why I don't ask people what they do. I ask, what do you do for fun? 
but I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't care where you work. Maybe I will eventually, but what do you do for fun? Because if you ask that, then I'm talking about you as an individual, not you as a logo, or that might be a trigger. Like I do this, but I actually hate it. Right. So I think if we can just be more human and less driven by what can we maybe take from someone or what do we, their, their, whatever their status is, understanding that we can have deeper connections, but if you cut things off at what do you do? It's, you know, you're losing a lot in that, that conversation. That's actually such a great point because I was thinking about it the other day and I feel like a lot of my really close friends that, you know, you went to college with or grew up with, or I don't know what a lot of them actually do because you're so close. You never have to be like, what'd you do at work today? What do you, like, what's your position? Oh, you know, like you may talk about like getting a promotion or something, but so it's, it's kind of an interesting concept that it is so true. If you want to make stronger bonds, sometimes talking about work isn't helpful, but it might be good to know what your friends do. So sorry, friends, if. I don't know what you do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm aware of some of them because, like, I need them once in a while. Like my my buddy's oh, wife, yeah. Like, yeah, my buddy's yeah. wife is a contract lawyer, so I'm like, all right, let me go talk to Archinov real quick. But otherwise, yeah. you, I'm like, you'll keep that in the back of your mind. Like, wait a second, that'd be helpful. Yeah, yeah there's there's a few boxes I check. Otherwise, I'm like, all right, let's just be friends. And yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, oh, I like that so much. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I think this was all so helpful, not only for me, but I think other people um, to realize what to do either in the corporate world as a manager. I feel like we talked we talked about so many different topics that I think are so, so helpful. And then obviously entrepreneurship and how ways you can start off or even honestly, I think, think some of those tips are great for continuing where you are and kind of finding your people so that um, you can kind of keep growing the way you want to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun talking about it. So I appreciate it. Yes, of course. Well, I'm Michelle just interviewed Terry Rice and I'm here to prove you don't always have to be organized to follow your dreams and getting lost isn't always a bad thing. Bye.